you have your Bibles, I'm asking you to open them to Isaiah chapter 53. Um, and let me ask this. How many of you, when I say Isaiah 53, you have a little inkling of what that's about? Put your hand up like, oh yeah, Isaiah 53. Okay, good. So maybe 10% or 20% put their hands up. So that, that tells me it's a good idea that we talk about it. Open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible on a rack in front of you. I'd really, really like you to see the text we're going to look at. The Bible that's on the rack in front of you, Isaiah 53, is going to be on page 900 and... I'm getting there. Give me another minute. Nope, 730, okay? 731, actually, is where we'll be. So if you didn't bring your own Bible, there are Bibles in the seats. You're always welcome to use those. Grab one, turn it to page 731, and and there is a Bible app event for this message as well that you can follow along there. We're going to read two passages of Scripture. I told you early on you're going to need your thinking cap on, so we're going to move through this text and try to understand what it's saying. Before we read the Scripture, I want to tell you about something funny that happened this week. I was um, in the hospital waiting room while Judy was having her surgery on her toe, and I'm sitting there with Chuck, her husband, and with Dan, her brother. And so as we're together there, um, we're, we're naturally, we're concerned about Judy because she's having her surgery. But additionally, Chuck is concerned about Judy's sister Kay because he says, I called her 90 minutes ago and she told me she was only 30 minutes away. I don't know where she is. So there we are in Dubois in the hospital, surgical waiting room, you know, where, and I know what to do in that case call her again. And so we'll call her again. Chuck's like, that's a good idea. I'll do that. So he calls her again, right? And he says, where are you? What? I, where are you? But I, I'm, in, I'm at the waiting room. Where are you? I'm, and, and so Chuck's over here saying this, right? And there's another woman that's like right where Melissa is. And the other woman says, hey, you two are talking to each other because Kay was right over where Bob is, you know, right? So has that ever happened to you? It's like, you're just not looking the right place. And, and what Chuck needed was someone to say, you're looking the wrong place, Chuck. Look across the room. That's where the person you want is. He needed someone to adjust his viewpoint. That's what I want to give you today. I want to tell you that you can look the right place, and the right place to look is always to look to Jesus. I want to tell you to look to your healer, Christ our healer. So your Bibles are open to Isaiah 53, right? And uh, we're going to read a few verses here. We're going to start with verse 4, and uh, we're going to read through verse 11. So follow along as I read. I'll be reading from the NIV. Yours might be a little different, but it's all the same. Ready? Surely he took up our infirmities. Pause. An infirmity is some kind of a weakness. Someone who is infirm might find themselves in a nursing home. They're just not healthy, okay? Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Well, you know what a sorrow is. It's an emotional brokenness. Let's continue. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Pause. A transgression is a breaking of a rule. So whoever he's talking about was pierced because we broke some rules. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are, what does yours say? Healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Any idea who he's talking about? Jesus, yeah, somebody said it, Jesus. Always guess God or Jesus. It's almost always the right answer in a Sunday school environment, right? Yeah. Verse seven, 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like he was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yeah, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The suffering of his soul, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils of the strong, with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, I want to tell you that those words were written seven centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 700 years before any of that came to pass, those words were written. And you might be thinking, ah, how do we know that? How do we know that? Because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We found them. And there they were. Ancient writings about this and even beyond. And we can see that this passage written about Jesus born in Bethlehem is something God predicted well in advance. Now, I want to show you a second passage, and it's found in Matthew chapter 8. So if you can flip over to the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, and look at chapter 8, you're going to find this on page 963, 962 actually, 962 in a pew Bible, okay? Now, as we fast forwarded from Isaiah to Matthew, we've actually gone forward 700 years. Jesus has been born, he's doing his ministry, he's an adult at this time. And in verse 14 of Matthew 8, it says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in the bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. So she was healed, right? And then it says, And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Now, look at verse 17. It says, This was to fulfill what was spoken Through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So Matthew's making a connection there. As we think about these passages, I want to just give you two essential observations, two things that it's really important that you see these things. We can say they're kind of mustn't miss kind of things. And the first one is this. When Jesus died, he died to bring us healing. He died to bring us healing, spiritual healing emotional healing, and in the case of the people in Matthew 8, physical healing. Peter's mother-in-law, the demonized, and those who had sickness were healed by Jesus, and the text says right in verse 17 that that was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And according to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus did that through being pierced through his death on Calvary. 
He was pierced, the scripture says, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By those wounds, we're healed. So our healing was purchased when Jesus was crucified. And that is why we say that healing is in the atonement. The atonement, that is the work that Jesus did to cover for our sins. And in that act on the cross, he purchased our physical healing. He purchased our emotional healing. And everyone would agree, he purchased our spiritual healing. At least those who trust him would agree with that. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he died to atone for our sins and to make healing happen. And that is why the Elias Statement of Faith says that provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for healing of the mortal body. Prayer for the sick and anointing with oil are taught in the scriptures and are privileges for the church in this present age. And we understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died so that our bodies would one day be resurrected. And that which is sown perishable is raised imperishable. That our resurrection bodies are part of the atonement of Christ. The healing that he gives to these mortal bodies, it's kind of a preview of coming attractions. You can think of it like. And this passage, these passages we read, connect healing tightly with what Jesus did on the cross. And so that tells me that if I'm looking for healing, then the place I need to look is to my healer to Jesus. Look to your healer. He is the one who gave his life and provided healing. And when you begin to look to him as your healer, you become aware of some things. First, you become aware that healing is provided. And that's the the word I want you to really think of in your head. It is provided for you. That tells me that probably we should ask for healing It's something we should ask for. You know, uh, I I remember when a good friend of mine, the names are changed to protect the innocent as well as the guilty, Ted and Pat, they were a couple, they were parents, they were good friends. Ted had been my friend almost since childhood. And they told me, you know, there's something wrong with our baby, and we're kind of concerned about that, but, but, you know, we're going to make it. And I send this sentence, I said, hey, Laurel and I will be praying for you guys and for your baby. And they they replied with a really weird sentence. They said, we're fine with whatever happens. Don't pray. Now, these are longtime Christian people. These are people who understand Jesus came and died for their sins. These are people that are trusting in him for eternal life. But when I asked them, when I told them I would pray that their child would be well, They said, that's not necessary. We're fine with whatever God does. Now, to some people, that might sound impressive. And it is really impressive, or else it's a lie. (laughs) One or the other, right? But, But I've come to realize that while God is pleased when you are content with whatever he has given you, that does not mean you should ask for what is good, and scrolled off the bottom of the screen that you can't see, generally speaking, healing is good. Let me say that again. While God is pleased when you're content with what he has given you, that doesn't mean you should not ask him for what is good. And generally speaking, healing is a good thing. And if healing is provided, 
it's probably something you should ask for. By the way, when we say it's provided, we understand then that it's something you receive as a gift. You can't demand it. You can't come in and say, I demand that I get healed. I mean, try that with any other gift. Try that, guys, with your wife when your birthday comes along. I demand a big Toyota pickup truck. Yeah, that doesn't work, right? You can't demand those kinds of things. You can never demand a gift. And healing is a gift. And you probably have seen people who are like, I am claiming this and I know and I demand it. As a son of the living God, I demand this. You know that? Hey, that wasn't bad, was it? Yeah, yeah, right? And it almost feels like a sense of entitlement. And then when it isn't delivered, wow, do the wheels ever fall off of that? Yeah. (laughs) I am... I don't mean this in a sick kind of way, but I am so thankful for the suffering the Apostle Paul experienced. You know, he says that he has a thorn in his flesh. And you can try and interpret that a hundred different ways, but how about just looking at it the way the Bible says it? It's a thorn in the flesh. And he says, I prayed, God, deliver me from this. Again and again I prayed, God, take this away. And God didn't take it away. God said, No, you can live with that because my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So you can see there that we really can't demand this kind of thing. It is something we would receive, but we can't demand. And you really can't earn it either. You can't do something. Well, if I pray hard enough, and if I do all this stuff, and if I serve God this way, then I will have earned this healing. It doesn't work with that. It's something that is provided that you receive. It only comes to you through grace. You receive it. So when you look to your healer, you begin to realize that any healing that you might expect to give is something he has to provide. It's about him. It's not about you. And second, you begin to become aware that healing is redemptive. And this might be the coolest thing I get to say today. Healing is redemptive. Redemption means buying something back from bondage. So historically, back in the days when people held slaves, if someone took compassion on their neighbor's slave and said, that person is just being treated miserably, I am going to redeem them from slavery. They would go to that neighbor and they would say, I'd like to buy that slave from you. I want to pay the price of redemption. And the neighbor would say, I need this much money. And they would give the neighbor that much money. And then that slave, they could set that slave free. And he had his papers and he was free. That's a story of redemption, an example of redemption from history, from a very sad history, right? But get the point that redemption is when something is in bondage, someone else comes along and redeems it, therefore setting it free from the bondage. That's the point that you want to get. How many have seen the movie, The Shawshank Redemption? Put your hands up. Okay, good deal. Good deal, yeah. So in that movie, the first time I watched it, I said, I didn't see any redemption there. Because I'm very much a literalist, so I'm looking for someone to die on the cross for somebody in Shawshank prison. It's not happening, right? But I watched it again and again, and I finally get it. That in The Shawshank Redemption, and by the way, that was written by Stephen King. Do you know what his degree is in? Theology. How about that? Isn't that something? Stephen King, in his writing this, he has this man who is unjustly imprisoned finding redemption by giving meaning to his life 
by helping others so that evil cannot win. Whether it is the evil of the other prisoners or the evil of the prison system, he does not give up on making that existence he have meaningful and good. That's a story of redemption. Redemption takes that which is evil, that which is broken, that which is in decay, that which is in bondage, and sets it free and gives life to it and makes it new. Redemption. Wayne Grudem, one of my favorite theologians, writes it this way. He says, Redemption is Christ's saving work viewed through an act of bind, viewed as an act of buying back sinners out of their bondage to sin and Satan through payment of ransom. Then he goes on to note, parenthetically, the analogy should not be pressed to specify anyone to whom the ransom is paid. It's buying someone back from bondage. And Christ bought you back from bondage to sin, bondage to destruction, bondage to decay. He redeemed you and he bought you back from sickness and death as well. He redeemed you from those things. You see, at the cross, Christ redeems us from the curse. And if the curse is the result of things gone wrong at the fall, and the remedy for things going wrong at the fall is the cross of Jesus, then the redemption happens there. We are redeemed by Christ's death. And by the way, let me talk to you for a minute about Christ's death. There is nothing more powerful than the death of Christ on your behalf. Say that sentence again. There is nothing more powerful than the death of Christ on your behalf. So far as we know, it is the most profound event in the history of the cosmos. Nothing compares. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law at a touch by Jesus does not compare to Jesus' death on the cross on your behalf. Turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee does not compare to the death of Christ on your behalf. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Raising the widow of Nain's son from the dead. Raising Jairus, the synagogue ruler's daughter from the dead. Does not compare to the death of Christ on your behalf. Nothing compares to the death of Christ on your behalf. It is the pinnacle. It is the zenith. It is the high point. It is the summit of all things. And in doing that, in dying on the cross, he redeemed you. He redeemed your sickness. He redeemed it all. He's taking your diseases. He's taking your sin. He's taking your frailty. He's taking your failures. He's taking your guilt. He's taking your shame. And He is turning it all into life. That redemptive power stands above all things. It's a beautiful thing. And when you look to your healer, you become aware that healing is redemptive. When you look to your healer, you become aware that mortality does not have the last word. I want to tell you a story. You might say, that sounds familiar to me. Because when I thought of this story, I couldn't think of who it was because I've seen it happen more than once. But I remembered who it was. I'm not going to tell you the name because it doesn't matter who it was. I just want you to know it's a real story. A friend of mine was sick. He was a pastor. He was sick. He was pastoring a church. And when he went to the doctor, the doctor says, you have cancer. It is bad. And it's going to be over soon. And so he went to the elders in his church and he prayed. He said, pray for me. He had people praying for him. I prayed for him. His friends prayed for him all over the place, prayed for him. And the doctor said, you know what? Your cancer is gone. 
We're not even talking remission here. Your cancer is gone. You have been healed. And he's like, yeah. And he continued to pastor that church. And sometime later, he got called to another church and he was pastoring that church. And the doctor said, whoa, you have cancer. And he died. You ever seen that happen? (laughs) I have seen that happen. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, I was a younger pastor, I remember thinking, what's up with that? What's up with that, right? I mean, if God healed him of that disease and it's returned, then did the death, did the disease win? Did death win there? And that hasn't just happened to that friend, it's happened to others as well. And when I've talked to people, they've said, yeah, that happened to someone I knew. God heals someone and then sometime later they become sick again and they eventually die. Maybe that same disease, maybe something else. What do you do with that? So for, here, for me, here's what I conclude. It's going to make me so sad because it's not going to show on the screen like I want it to. Number one, the healing we receive on earth is not eternal in nature. It is a healing of the mortal body, which by definition will die. The healing we receive on earth is a glimpse of the eternal healing we will receive at the resurrection. In fact, it's a glimpse of the resurrection itself. But the healing we receive on earth is not the resurrection. And the healing of our mortal body for a period of time is what we experience when we experience healing. And every person who has ever been healed, whether miraculously or natural, will die unless Christ returns and they're caught up in the rapture. But that does not negate the healing. Instead, it affirms the coming of the resurrection. That sentence is right here on the bottom of the screen. Man, do I wish you could see it because it's a pretty good sentence. Let me say it again. That does not negate the healing. Instead, it affirms the coming of the resurrection. There's something more to come. You could say that healing is a gift for a season, perhaps until you receive your resurrection body. It comes when we look to our healer. Number four, when you look to your healer, you will become aware that healing is for then and for now. There's some Christian groups that don't believe healing happens in this era. They say it's part of a different dispensation. That's not for now. It was only for then. That was before the Bible was written. And, you know, the signs and wonders were helping God convince people of his message. But now we have the Bible. But the statement of faith in the Christian Missionary Alliance reads this way. Prayer for the sick is a present day privilege. Present day privilege. So we can ask for it now and receive it at times. There are times that God heals. There are times he chooses to wait until he heals. But our part is just to ask and then to trust. It's to hope and then to wait. It's to expect and then to listen. Be assured, you can expect it. Whether it's just a taste of resurrection power that you get now in this life or the actual resurrection in the next life. And that's not a cop-out. That's an expression of confidence and hope. So, are you looking to your healer? Are you looking to your healer? Do you need a physical healing? 
I'm going to tell you my story of my favorite physical healing. And it's because it's my daughter. (laughs) I don't know if you know this or not, but I love my daughter. She had traveled internationally and she adopted not a child, but a parasite. She brought this parasite back with her and we didn't know it was there and it destroyed the lining of her digestive system so that she no longer could digest wheat or milk. We uh, were talking and praying with other pastors and Reverend George Cannon, who happens to pastor a church in this town, happened to know the leading specialist who dealt with these kind of sicknesses. He was from Toronto. I contacted the Christian and Missionary Alliance National Office and I said, can you refer me to a doctor? They said, oh yeah, we have one in Minnesota. And I said, well, what about Dr. Gamble in Toronto? They said, if you can get in with him, he's the best. We Skyped him. (laughs) He ordered the test and our local, the woman who attended church here, Mary Brett, she did all the tests. She was a physician's assistant, I think, nurse practitioner. She did all the tests and she sent the results to Toronto. Dr. Gamble looked at him and then he and I Skyped together. It was just he and me when I received this news. He says, Steve, um, in thousands of cases, I've only seen one or two recover. Wow, that seemed pretty hopeless. And my daughter was sick for a long time, and she looked it. A dear woman in this church who loves her hadn't seen her in a couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And when she saw her, she ran to her and hugged her and said, Oh, Esther, I didn't know you were so sick. That's how bad she looked. Dark circles under her eyes. Have you seen my daughter's hair? How beautiful her hair is? It stopped growing altogether. It wasn't growing. And she was in pain constantly. And she asked for healing. We prayed for her. Others prayed for her. And and this week, October, the second week of October, eight years ago, she entered this blog post. God has healed me. I have gone from the girl who didn't used to be able to cook wheat flour for someone else's cookies. That was her brother's cookies. You know how sisters, if they want something from their brother, they do something for him? I'm not sure if that's what was going on, but occasionally Esther would be making Tim's favorite cookies in the kitchen, and she couldn't do that. I have gone from the girl who didn't used to be able to cook with wheat flour for someone else's cookies to the girl who eats muesli with milk and little loaves of French bread with Cadbury on them for breakfast. And then she wrote, the opportunities to serve him abound. Wow. Provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the healing of the mortal body. Prayer for the sick and anointing with oil are taught in the scriptures and are privileges for the church in this present age. If you have a need for physical healing, in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and we will pray for you as you stand where you are that God will heal you physically. Or is your need for emotional healing? Is there something emotionally troubling you? Is there something keeping you up at night? A sorrow that's overwhelming? A wound that just won't go away? Every time you feel like this is in your past, you find your heart grieving once again. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was a man of sorrows. He took all of that. Provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have a need for emotional healing, in just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand and say, yeah, I need that. And third, do you have a need for healing of a relationship? Healing of a relationship. Man, things just aren't right between me and my sister-in-law. Things haven't been right between me and my son ever since I said that stupid thing. Things aren't right between my best friend and I, my husband, my wife. You know, Jesus died for that. Because that's a result of the curse. And he died for the results of the curse. And so provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand. And we'll pray for you.